Attention, Domino City! It's time for the Bomb Squad podcast to begin! Hi, I am Tim M. Sullivan. I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Ethan Hawker. And we have uh, two special guests today. Uh, first, we have our returning guest. Angie Achiman. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we have a new guest. Philip Hess. Glad to have Woo! you on the show, Phil. Two guests! He did it! He did it! We are continuing our month of uh, nostalgic anime movies with one of the Yu-Gi-Oh! movies. And I uh, decided not to do Pyramid of Light. So instead, we are talking about a better Yu-Gi-Oh! movie, The Dark Side of Dimensions. But Pyramid of Light does have Joey Wheeler doing a Marlon Brando impression. <laughs> I'm just saying. True. So if you want to get to the King of Games, you'll have to go through me. The, uh, uh, the Godfather of Games, Capiche? Uh, we're gonna get you! <laughs> yeah, they respect you. I could have been a contender. But yeah, I, th- I thought that this would be a more interesting one to talk about for approximately an hour, because, you know, character development and stuff. So, yeah, just uh, to introduce it, as we typically do with uh, movies such as this, just, just kind of talk about our history with the franchise. We'll start with Tanner. It's time to talk about my history! Let me tell you, as a little autistic boy growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends, but you know how I made friends? Through games that other autistic little boys would play. I don't like the way I'm phrasing that, but I'm committed. I'm committed. I grew up playing Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot, specifically, um, got into it because of a friend named he got me into Yu-Gi-Oh! and I played with him a lot, and because of that, I started getting into youth tournaments. Specifically, I started going to a local card game shop called Yeti Gaming. Back when they were in the mall, they have their own shop storefront now, but they used to be in a mall. Um, and I used to go there every Saturday to participate in their under-14 youth tournaments. And uh, apparently was so good that some people would show up to watch me play, uh, which is probably very weird. And I don't even know how true that is. That's just something that I've been told by other people. Tanner, given given the things I know about you, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, people were just watching you play Yu-Gi-Oh! This is only the 13th weirdest thing to ever happen to me. And I used to run with this specific deck right here. My Gravekeeper's deck. Alright? This thing has won me many, many tournaments, many duels. It has never let me down. It is my old reliable. As far as experience with the show goes, uh, I never watched the first... Yu-Gi-Oh! show, like, ever. I watched GX some when I was a kid, but the show I was really into, because it was the show that was actually running around 2011, 2010 when I was doing these youth tournaments, was 5Ds. I used to watch 5Ds religiously as a kid. It would be that, like, on Saturdays, I'd go to the youth tournaments. On Sunday, I would watch the latest episode of 5Ds, because by then it was on the DVR. So yeah, that's my general history of the franchise. Not a ton of history with the, the anime media, mostly with the, uh, as a, as a dual master myself. Back to you, Tim. Awesome. Austin, what's your history with Yu-Gi-Oh? I was a big-time Pokemon kid. Every <laughs> bit of goodwill that I earned as a child was used to get my parents to buy me more Pokemon stuff. Every single Christmas, every car ride, every recess, and all my thoughts before going to sleep were Pokemon. Then... Sometime when I was in third grade, around 2002, the whole entire paradigm shifted. All my friends were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! It was almost like it was engineered to make me mad. I looked at the attack on a monster that looked like a Furby, and the number was like 300! I couldn't even play my Pokemon cards against that! That Karibo could kill my Charizard by blinking! 
And I was informed that Karibo is like the towel boy of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I saw a blue eyes white dragon that day and almost shit my pants at school. So by way of peer pressure, I conformed. I started watching the show and collecting the cards. My parents were rightfully not as all in, considering I'd already bet the house on a different card game a hundred times over. I did like the show though. I, I got a copy of the Eternal Duelist Soul for the GBA. Uh, I saw Pyramid of Light in theaters. Uh, but I mostly remember Yu-Gi-Oh! is the franchise that taught me how temporary a fad can be, no matter how devoted everybody acts while the fad is popular. Back to you, Tim. Ethan, let's talk about, uh, your history with the franchise. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't in as into it as some, but I was still pretty into it for a while. I mostly kind of just got dragged along by, like, um, family that was more into it. I remember, like, in preschool, actually, I got my first starter deck, which was the Yugi starter deck, because I had, uh, family who had gotten the Kaiba starter deck with the blue eyes. It was the, probably the first card game I properly played. Like, I collected Pokemon cards, but I never played it. I collected Digimon cards, um, but I never played it. I think I had a few Neopets cards, but I never played that. But Yu-Gi-Oh! was the first one I got into, and I liked the earlier, uh, seasons. Like, I watched up to, like, the end of Duelist City, and I, I played a few of the games a little bit, um, I think, but that was, like, at a friend's house kind of thing. I, I got more into it, actually, um, as I got older. I got, remember, I never watched that arc of the anime, but I did have a Chaos Duel Disc, specifically. The cheaper one that didn't have the mechanical, you had to manually adjust. And I remember, I, I got back into it for a little bit, um, and then the cards were very expensive, and it was like, well, I could get cards or I could get video games. And I got a lot more fun out of video games. When you're young, you get, like, Christmas and, like, maybe a couple things a year. I'm going all in on video games. Sorry, Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> um, I'm going all in, like, you're a man at the stock market. Yeah. I'm about to bet some stocks at the stock market. All in on video games! To the moon! Diamond hands! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then I sort of fall off, fell off with GX because I was like, ah, this is kind of weird. Huh? Yeah. Kind of revisit it intermittently throughout my life, you know, um, just like to play a video game or something because God forbid I try and actually play the card game now because it's completely alienated me. What the hell um, is Link Summoning? Uh, what, what's Dimension? Or limit Summoning, whatever the hell it is. Uh, what is no. anything? Yes. But no, what yeah, that's, that's sort of my shorthand. Like, I like it, but it, I was never as into it as necessarily like Pokemon or or Digimon for, like, the, the actual entertainment media, more for the, the game aspect of it. Angie, uh, I, I know we've talked quite a bit about the series. Uh, why don't you give the class a lesson on your history with uh, the franchise? All right. Well, long story short, I didn't grow up with anime. I actually got into it in high school, and I never played the card game. I got into the anime, and I got into it through Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. Um, so that was kind of when Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged was uh, updating quite regularly back then. So I started watching that and I became really interested in the characters and kind of knowing the original story. So I binge watched all of it and it became an obsession. I bought like the entire manga. I had my mom buy me the um, first like 12 or so mangas that were available in the bookstore. And then every time I'd get like an allowance for good grades, I was going to Barnes and Nobles and ordering the next few volumes until I eventually had the whole series. After that, I eventually like warmed up to watching the, the spinoffs and I've since seen all of them uh, except for Sevens now. I actually watched most of them in 2020 uh, due to circumstances. I had a lot of extra time. 
So uh, I was able to just kind of binge watch the rest of them. Nice. Uh, Phil, uh, give us give us a tour on your history of the franchise. I was in the first grade, and around that time, a bunch of us, you know, wa- watching Kids WB at the time. I remember, you know, watching Pokemon and all that. We'd play the card games and all that, but, you know, no one of us knew how to play Pokemon. You show me one person who knows how to play Pokemon, I'll show you a hundred that don't. So then all of a sudden, this Yu-Gi-Oh thing comes on. I can actually tell you, it's episode 16, when Joey fights Kyber in the field or whatever, Duelist Kingdom. And my mother comes down, and she sees this battle ox, this dragon, the flame swordsman, highly detailed animations, and thinks, oh, this is way too violent for my kid. So for the next couple weeks, I didn't watch it at all. And then I went and just watched it in my basement. My mom didn't even notice. And the next thing you know, I'm asking for cards when the first packs start coming out. Pretty much been into it from nearly the start with all my buddies in the first grade. The classic story of how it quickly got banned. And then we'd start just drawing our own cards and cutting them out on papers <laughs> and using those in the classroom. So if they took them, we'd just make them again. An infinite loop. The more important factor for me is in 2004, I was at our local blockbuster at my hometown. And... I stumbled upon this, the monthly mm. Shonen Jump that I'd never seen before. It was my first one, and that introduced me to the world of manga, which is my favorite like medium of all time. I have like 400 on my shelf, and right now I adore manga. So like that has been that was like such a like flux for my life at that moment. Yeah, um, I, I guess uh, yeah, my history is uh, not not too dissimilar from uh, most of you guys. Like I watched it on Kids WB around that time it was coming on and. Pokemon was uh, all the rage. Um, I remember not being warm to it immediately. Like, I think I didn't, like, really understand what it was based on the commercials. Like, I saw people playing with cards, and for some reason I thought it was going to be, like, a gambling show or something. And it was just like, (laughs) that doesn't sound interesting to me. Which is weird, because now, like, Kaiji's my favorite anime. So, I don't know. Um, (laughs) People changed him! It's true. It's true. I've, it's, it's the character development of Tim. Yeah, then then one day I was watching um, an episode because I think my brother wanted me to record it when he was at Boy Scouts or something. Um, and it was the episode where uh, Joey is dueling uh, Bones. And so I'm just like seeing him struggling against all these creepy zombie monsters. I'm like, whoa, this is different. This is cool. And uh, from that point, I followed it religiously. Um watched it every week uh taped it whenever i had whenever i could uh even if i wasn't going out somewhere i just wanted to be able to watch it again you know like phil said um this was my gateway to shonen jump i got a subscription to that to like get the cards that were coming i I never did yeah Yeah, uh like i had the monthly subscription thing Mm -hmm. and uh, i was mostly getting that for the cards but i also uh started reading some of the chapters of the manga that were in there and the first volume of that that i got uh the chapter of Yu-Gi-Oh that was in that it's during the death tea arc in which uh kaiba has a serial killer named the chop man who joey has to do a battle with that was my introduction to the fact that oh this was dark in the manga <laughs> This is very different. That was like kind of what made me want to like see more of like the Japanese version and see how like that that was very different. It was uh, darker, had more horror elements. In a roundabout way, I think Yu-Gi-Oh is a big part of why I got into horror. 
Um, so yeah, it's definitely a big part of uh, my life. It introduced me to a lot of stuff. It got me more into anime. It got me to make a lot of friends. Like me and Angie uh, largely became friends because of uh, shared interest in Yu-Gi-Oh. Out of the stuff that I watched as a kid, it's like easily the one that had the biggest impact on me. So uh, next, let's just uh, talk about the film. And uh, I'm just going to do kind of a brief introduction on the film. So uh, some, something that kind of sets this movie apart from a lot of other shonen movies is that uh, a lot of those are just kind of like one-off stories or if they have any kind of canonicity they're canon to the anime tv show uh this one is different in that uh it's actually canon to the manga this was made specifically to be like a finale to the manga and actually had like a little two chapter one-off story called transcend game that was uh just kind of an introduction to the movie it's not necessary reading honestly it doesn't really give you that much more information if anything it kind of just uh expounds on like the ending <laughs> so yeah takahashi was uh more directly involved with this than any other piece of Yu-Gi-Oh media outside of the manga like a lot of them it's just like creator story by credits special thanks stuff like that um for this one uh he was uh actually executive producer and a storyboard artist on it so like he's very directly involved in the creation of it and this was directed by one satoshi kuwabara he was the original director on uh yugioh zexel um, was this around zexel or arc 5 when this came out this what are you people talking about <laughs> arc, arc, arc 5 i think was it arc 5 was finishing i think it might have been arc, arc 5 or brains might have been coming out at that point okay um no, but, it was but at anyway. the very end of arc v yeah okay it was the very that's why arc v had production issues (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about manga please pick me up i'm scared (laughs) all right and the art director on this movie is takashi nakamura who is a veteran in the field some of the credits just to name a few he worked on some stuff for space battleship yamato gachaman he worked on nausicaa macross do you remember love which we may be doing a podcast on we will be in september Uh, he he also directed one of the shorts on robot carnival he worked on akira and he is the director of the 2015 film harmony which uh was a pretty cool movie so now let's just kind of talk about our thoughts on the film we'll start with austin so uh since i left Yu-Gi-Oh and childhood behind the part of it that probably stayed the closest with me is this image of seto kaiba being defeated by exodia from episode one of the show about 18 minutes into the episode and 42 seconds in i love that image it's a perfect representation of anybody just getting destroyed on the internet. I think that Kaiba's hilarious in this way that sort of transcends the rest of the show, at least for me, which is cool because in Dark Side Dimensions, not only is there a lot of Seto Kaiba, but he's a superhero now. It's his movie. Yeah. He is he is specifically he's... credited as the main character. Eric Stewart won an award for Best Lead Actor. Dan Green won a Supporting Actor Award. You know what? That that tracks. I would definitely call him the main character of this movie. There's a point where Kaiba jumps out of a stealth jet while it's going Mach 17 just so he can make a stylish landing at a covert location in front of people who work for him. Uh, <laughs> I love him in this movie. And, and while Kaiba is definitely the, the most enjoyable part of the movie for sure, seeing Yuki and the gang after all these years was surprisingly fun. Like, I showed this to my husband, who had no prior knowledge of Yu-Gi-Oh, and he actually liked the parts where it acted like a standard anime. But I gotta admit, the duels are what keeps this on, like, the nerd shelf permanently. Like, 
When Tim Sibling Rook said yesterday on the Pokemon podcast that Yu-Gi-Oh! has gotten kind of convoluted, I had no idea that they meant that it's Twilight Baseball now. Every step of the way feels completely made up, and all the cards have like three very specific effects. It's like, ah yes, I activate my trap card, Scary Dairy! Because you attacked my winged yogurt, and I have a granola griffin in my graveyard. I'm allowed to chain summon the Go-Hurt Tube and his brother-in-law, Scarfay. Their special ability is that the lease on your car is now double in price. I feel like this is how our parents felt watching this. Like, Just, like now we that's understand. How my par- that's how my parents feel whenever I talk about anything around them. To sum it up, the duels aren't as cool, but the storyline rules. Back to you, Tim. Tanner, uh, what'd you think of the movie? It seemed like you were enjoying it from your uh, tw- your texts. Yeah, because I live message you guys everything now for the podcast, I guess. I uh, loved this movie. I had a blast with it, which is really cool because like I was saying earlier, I never watched the anime that these characters were in. So they might as well have been strangers for me. Like, to put it in perspective, when I was a kid, I didn't watch this anime. I thought Yugi was a girl until I was 17, and someone made me watch an actual episode of the anime, and I was like, that doesn't sound like a woman. That sounds like a man named Dan Green. Yeah, I really love the characters. Kaiba's like the cool billionaire. Honestly, this is what billionaires should be. They should keep their noses out of everyone else's business and just focus entirely on their one niche hobby and just not bother anyone else. They should also do backflips out of stealth jets going Mach 17 and should host elaborate sports tournaments so they can get puzzle pieces and stuff. The animation and general art style is so appealing, so pretty. This movie looks gorgeous. I love the animation of this movie. So much so that, like, even though I didn't understand what was going on with the duels, the gorgeous animation, and the general engagement of the storyline and the character development just kept me locked in. The third act of this movie is really weird. It starts, like, an hour into the movie and then just lasts through the entire movie. It's a really long third act, but I really uh, loved it. Uh, I wanted to imagine there was a guy in a sports stadium that is, like, new to the Yu-Gi-Oh! world and hasn't been paying attention to the news. So when Kaiba's like, summon the pharaoh, this guy in the stadium, in the stands was just like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I just want to imagine there's just one guy really out of the loop. Uh, Ethan, thoughts on the movie? I liked it quite a bit. I, the slice of life bits were probably the m- stuff I had the most fun with. Um, I think the B-plot makes it maybe a bit more accessible, like with, um, or well, not the B-plot, but I guess the central conflict, the stuff with D.Va. Like, if I have any issue, it's that I think that his characterization and everything, like, it takes up a bit, a bit too much of the movie, maybe. Um, like, like, for what is ostensibly supposed to be sort of the reunion special, where we're supposed to be spending a lot of time with Yugi and Kaiba. Like, not that it isn't compelling in and of itself, it's just I don't think they quite gel together, um, through, like, the particularly like the second act uh the animation is really good i like the coloring is incredibly impressive that they employ here um it looks a lot more lifelike and like there's a bit more attention paid to it as opposed to the old television anime where it was you know it was early digital color or like a pyramid of light where everyone's just real tan now and the cgi is even pretty impressive i would dare say all right uh angie What's on the movie? Well, obviously I like it. As a longtime, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! fan, fan of the manga, of course I'm gonna love, you know, a follow-up to the manga. And I actually thought it was a really good follow-up to it, especially when you realize that this is all about Kaiba, like, processing his grief for a Tem. Because in the original manga, Kaiba was not there at the final duel, so he never got to properly say goodbye to the Pharaoh. His whole motivation, it's less that he wants to duel him and more that he wants to see him again and give his proper farewell to him. Also really liked everything like they did with 
Bakura. Mm -hmm. I think the most interesting thing about the plot with Diva was that kind of like the misdirection where you think at first he's going after Yugi, but the whole time he was actually after Bakura. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's Yu-Gi-Oh. I love Yu-Gi-Oh, so... <laughs> Bill, what's on the move? This is one of those rare pieces of media, I feel like, for me personally, where, like, when I first watched this, I, this is my third time seeing it, I saw it in theaters, for, then when it came on home video, then just the other night. feels like, whenever I watch it, it feels like you're coming home, in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, you see all these characters, like, these, like this, like, old, like, friend group or something like that, like, oh, and they all, like, have the same actors and everything. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's beautiful. Uh, I don't... So it's funny about the CG. I wasn't too crazy on it, only because I'm like, man... Dark Magician and the Dark Magician waifus look really good on t with this uh, 2D animation. I wish Blue Eyes <laughs> had his striking lines like in the show. But, you know, it's fine. They, they probably were able to do a lot more with the CG. I get it. There's also, like, an incredible amount that I respect of reservation with this movie. Like, I think everyone was expecting, you know, the Pharaoh to really come in and, like... Yeah, he saves the day. But, I mean, like, really come in and, like, flex some muscle on everyone. But, uh, he... Like, I love that the, he doesn't speak a word throughout the whole movie. I think that is so cool that he just comes in, does his job, leaves, and, the, and, and makes sure he can never come back. Uh, yeah, love this movie. Great. Uh, also, uh, Kazuki Takahashi fashion on point as per usual those designs those outfits stella kaiba's knee pads amazing uh i mentioned like no less than seven times in the group chat man everyone in this movie got drip everyone's, kept, everyone's hot everyone's I kept hot. talking about yuki's drip yuki yuki has immaculate drip he has big dick energy the man may be the best character in all of fiction joey joey's wearing his battle city shirt with his duelist kingdom jacket it's it's so good He's a bunch of kings and queens god no joey duel so four out of ten <laughs> understandable <laughs> understandable have a great day glad you all seem to uh enjoy it and get a lot out of it yeah i i love this movie a lot i saw it in the theater when it came out I bought the Blu-ray. I've seen the dub three times. I've seen it sub twice. I definitely agree. Like, Kaiba's just so great in it. They take his just, like, extra energy and amp it up to 11. Like, just seeing him just standing in the middle of a four-way intersection in the rain blocking traffic is the funniest fucking thing in the world. I do agree that kind of the weak link is the whole, like, Plana, Aigami, Diva plot and really I, th I think that it basically just serves to move the more interesting plot points forward like the stuff with Kaiba and Yugi and uh, Bakura I think it could have been developed a little better like uh, Takahashi initially wanted uh, to make this as like a miniseries I think that if it had gotten uh, a bigger runtime as like a series adaptation it could have fleshed out some of those uh, underdeveloped plot points a little bit better but I think that the stuff that was really impactful, like it, it works really well. One aspect of it that I appreciate that they brought back from the manga is the body horror. There's a little bit of body horror in this movie. Just like when you see the Millennium Ring at, in Bakura's chest, uh, that's something that they brought back from the manga where you see him in like the bathroom at the school and he has the Millennium Ring going into his chest. Um, and there's just like a bunch of stuff like that. And then at the end, when uh, Aigami infuses with the ring and it just becomes a fucking Cronenberg monster, uh, that, that stuff's great. Uh, I love it. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I have something to show. So I, I have my Blu-ray with me right here. Uh, as you can see, signed by Eric Kaiba Stewart. 
Phil tries yeah. to show his Blu-ray and Tim's like, you've activated my trap card! <laughs> Got the Eric trap Stewart, card. bitch! Oh, damn, uh, that's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meeting him was fun, and I'm glad I was able to get him to autograph it. Someday I want to meet Dan Green. Hopefully we'll come back to a con sometime. Really enjoyed the movie. Uh, always enjoy coming back to it. And uh, we have one more question. We're just going to talk about some of our favorite scenes. Because I think this movie's got a lot of really cool scenes. For me, there's a lot of like cute little stuff. Um, I really like seeing Joey back in the mascot outfit. Um, sort of calling back to the, the gag about him being a dog beneath Kaiba. Um, that sort of fantasy sequence. I think that is funny. And I mostly just like them in the mall um, sort of being friends. Like any, any scene with the gang just being friends is probably my favorite scene. I, I love the way Yugi is able to stand on his own two feet and defeat Kaiba um, himself. I think that's really perfect um, as like a conclusion to his character because not only did he, you know, defeat the Pharaoh, but he also defeated what, who was ostensibly his, his greatest rival without requiring help from the Pharaoh. Uh, really, really good stuff there. Really good like character coming to fruition. Um, Kaiba intentionally losing um, when they, they fight against uh, Dark Diva, Zork Diva sort of you know allowing himself to lose um which is obviously something that kaiba normally would not want to do character development baby yeah it really brings um him not splattering diva with the landing gear on his blue eyes jet earlier in the film when he goes like right above him which i feel like like early duel monsters kaiba very much would have done um he had no respect (laughs) for other people's lives what a king uh, just like most billionaires. <laughs> I'm glad that you uh, brought up the stuff with uh, Joey in the dog suit working at the ice cream shop, because uh, that brought up something that I uh, was going to mention. I forgot to. Uh, so, so the uh, the clown guy that Joey was working for, he is. Yeah, you told me. He is a subtle reference to the manga. He is a character who is only in the manga. He is uh, Duke Devlin's father, and uh, that <laughs> that means Tanner. You get to you get to say the thing. Dad's rock, baby. There it is. Dungeon Dad uh, Monsters. Oh, Kaiba would disagree. That was my most powerful dad's rock yet. <laughs> All right. Tanner, now, now that we got you in dad's rock mode, why don't you tell us some oh, about your favorite scenes? baby, I'm in dad's rock mode. So my favorite scene is uh, the last hour. Uh, everything, <laughs> just everything at the sports stadium just gave me an absolute blast. Just look, everything Ethan said, you can kind of just copy paste here. Uh, there was a lot of moments there. I got a little choked up when Kaiba sacrificed himself. I was like, yeah, you go. You go, Rockstar. Um, you know, my favorite part, though, was the actual literal very, very end. When all of a sudden you see a space station. And I'm like, what's going on? And Kaiba's talking to his little brother. And Kaiba's like, yo, little bro, you're nine. You're in charge of the company now. And then Kaiba dimension hops in order to go see his buddy, the Pharaoh. <laughs> he's like, yo, what's up? You want a duel, baby? Just every time, like, at first I thought Kaiba, oh, Kaiba, he's the bad guy. He wants to do some messed up shit. Then I realized he just wants to see his arch nemesis again so they can battle just like the good old days. He just wants to chase his youth. And honestly, that's a very, very relatable feeling. And then at the end, he gets that. He gets to see his friend again, and they're going to duel until the cows come home. I like when um, sort of shit hits the fan when that Cronenberg monster comes out and the guy's head turns into a particle system. That very first guy <laughs> to get fucked in the stadium got it worse than anyone else in the movie. <laughs> um, but, but my real favorite scene is when Kaiba summoned Obelisk the Tormentor and said, It's no monster. 
It's a god. I, I was levitating. They played a classic. <laughs> they didn't explain how that record even got in the jukebox. And they did a gloating <laughs> victory lap on my nostalgia. I, I kind of already mentioned it earlier, but I just love everything with Bakura. Bakura was always my favorite character. So uh, getting that elaboration on his like backstory uh, was really good. And like this is going to make me sound sadistic, but I actually really like the scene where he's crying. Like, because you never see that. And I'm just like, wow, this is such a great, like, emotional, like, point for Bakura. I, um, I specifically remember when, like, the images were coming out and you saw an image of him crying. You're just like, I just want to know who hurt him. <laughs> uh, I really liked that scene. It was always, like, one of my favorite moments. I, I swear that's the reason why I went to see the movie three times, because I just wanted to keep watching that um, over and over again. Another scene I, I really like, especially this, um, this time around watching in Japanese, is that whole speech that Kaiba has, how our souls are imprisoned in the flesh and how uh, people start wars and unnecessary conflict to protect our flesh prisons and how he created this network to allow people to escape their prison and transcend uh, prejudice and racism and stuff. I was like, damn, this is actually a really good speech. So I really liked that scene. You know, in cinema, there are very much many uh, Gatorade get hype moments. You know, you could think about On Your Left from Endgame. You could think about when Vader comes out in Rogue One. Stuff like that. But to piggyback off what Austin said, it's not a monster. It's a <laughs> god. My friends and I, my childhood friends and I, were just like, Oh my god! We, dude, he just owns... Look, any scene with Kaiba, he's just levitating. He is on top of the world, and you're just along for the show. I do love the moment, like, uh, I think when he said earlier about when Yugi's first telling Kaiba to step off, and he wants to do Aigami first. I think that's an incredible moment. Uh, and then, obviously, the ending, where Kaiba decides to transcend reality, universe, and the afterlife. Uh, it's just any... All of it's so great, much. but... All of it's great, but, like, the obelisk moment stands out so much in my head. All great moments. Um, I, I definitely agree. Whatever moment in Avengers got you super hyped, for me, that is Kaiba pulling obelisk out of the ground moment. That is a Tem coming out and summoning Priest Mahad to kill the Cronenberg monster. Those are just the moments every time I see him, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen the movie, I get chills. It's just so good. Um, and it's just just so good on such a visceral level. It's great. And yeah, I, I love uh, Yugi just nutting up and uh, coming up to Kaiba saying, hey, I'm doing this and you're going to fuck off. Uh, I specifically remember like when that moment played in the theater, they were just like, damn! <laughs> <Which> <laughs> he popped the door! I think I agree with Angie that like my actual favorite moment is like that scene with uh, Bakura, the flashback where uh, you see him getting the ring and uh, killing Shadi. Because that was just, like, such a dark, unexpected moments. Of course, I definitely agree the ending is a very strong moment. I initially interpreted it as uh, him traveling back in time to, like, see the Pharaoh when he was still alive. And then found out later that it was him traveling to the afterlife, so Kaiba's uh, canonically dead. Wait, Kaiba went to heaven in that moment?! <laughs> Well, Kaiba well, <laughs> transported himself to the afterlife. When you look at that manga you mentioned earlier, Tim, like it kind of implies he actually just sends his consciousness, but his body's just sitting there with space in the capsule. There's just a spaceship out there with his body in it, like because they, they talk about sending your consciousness like throughout yeah. like the 
metaverse and whatnot. So like, oh god, Zuckerberg! <laughs> that that ending had big like hundred percent of video game energy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it. That, yeah, that, just that when you unlock the secret final boss in yeah. Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just and just like seeing him step up the wage, and just like we're doing this, and kind of just like, oh hell yeah, that's just such a great little moment, and like the themes of just like closure with this movie is something that made it really strong overall. Because like this was coming out around the time of like uh, Battle of Gods Resurrection F, where Akira Toriyama is just like, okay, we're just gonna make more Dragon Ball shit forever now, and Kazuki Hakahashi's just like, I'm gonna make an ending to my story, and I'm going to make it perfectly clear that this is the ending of the story. I definitely like commend it for kind of being just like a, a more mature answer to that question. Um, and I think that's just like a big part of what I love about it. So I think that is going to do it for this podcast. Um, Angie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure to have you on. Viewers, stay tuned for the bonus cast we're doing on Bell. Angie will be on that. Uh, that should be coming out uh, this coming Wednesday, so stay tuned. Uh, Phil, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to have you. Uh, anything you want to promote? Don't look for me. Fair enough. But I like you so all. Don't look for I me. like you all. But I like you all. <laughs> awesome. Fair enough. So, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. If you are listening on any of the audio platforms, go ahead and leave a review. Uh, helps us boost us in the aug- helps boost us in the algorithms. Algae uh, rhythm, baby. There we go. If you are watching this podcast on YouTube, thank you for watching. Go ahead and uh, leave a comment below. Let us know. What did you think of Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions? Uh, what did you think of Kaiba in this movie? Do the characters have drip? Let us know. While you're down there, go ahead and give us a like if you liked the video. Go ahead and subscribe if you want to watch more. And uh, hit the bell icon if you want to know when we're uploading stuff. Patreon! Uh, we, we have a Patreon. It's true. Many people are saying this. <laughs> Um, and uh, we, we also have uh, Spotify video which is this but uncut so you can hear us say fuck tune in next week when we do a special Toei double feature with one episode on Dragon Ball Z The Dead Zone and another episode on Sailor Moon R The Movie we will see you then thank you for tuning in and remember in a few hours the sun will rise <laughs> farewell Godspeed Spider-Man Quick shout out to my friend Axel for providing me with colored volumes of the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga. If you own the Dark Side of Dimensions Blu-ray, you can briefly see him in the Show Us Your Cards bonus feature. You can follow him on his cosplay pages on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also check out his YouTube channel Yu-Gi-Oh! For You, which includes a few videos edited by me. I'd also like to give a big thank you to everyone who's been tuning into our podcast over the last year. With your support, and Austin's hard work editing most of these, along with our shared passion for movies, we've been able to make something special that we're all very proud of. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.